Welcome to Happy Talks with Dr. Alice and Donovan. Dr. Alice Fong is a holistic naturopathic doctor and founder of Amour de Soi Wellness. And Donovan Jensen is a software engineer and founder of HowToHappy.com. Together, they're out to cause more happiness in the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Happy Talks. Today, I'm super excited to introduce to you Denise Erickson. Denise has spent over 35 years as HR leader, providing strategic and organizational development, consulting, and coaching to suite executives, primarily in the financial services and healthcare sector. Denise has retired from Kaiser Permanente in 2019 and has pivoted her professional focus to focus on executive leadership coaching with an emphasis on early to mid-career professionals. Please welcome Denise. Denise, thank you so much for being on our show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. Wonderful. Yeah, so you have a really fascinating story to, you know, come to retirement, but instead of just, you know, taking it easy breezy and going to travel or whatever people do in retirement, you decided to start a whole new profession as a leadership coach, which is amazing. And just really going after and pursuing your passion after 35 years in HR, which is really inspiring. So what had you decide to follow that path or just even pursue that passion of yours? Well, um, you know, as I was starting to anticipate um, the sunset of the career as I knew it, I um, I really did reflect on what what I loved most about my work, um, and you know, it, looking at my energy level and what I you know what I like to do and what I don't like to do, um, I, I said you know I needed to have something to sustain me, something that still allowed me to have a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And the things that I loved most about my job were those interactions with executives and even even folks that just needed a little bit of a nudge on their career development. I uh, found myself, you know, being someone that was accessible. Uh, I'm pretty authentic and easy to talk to. So why not capitalize on that and see how I might be able to do that on my own uh, with a little bit of uh, bolstered education. So um, that's what I decided to do. Uh, finished my time at Kaiser and had a really wonderful send off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, Started a, a, the certification program for my uh, for my coaching credential um, in the in the fall of last year. Cool. So there's a uh, you know you had a long background of HR stuff and you're now moving into the coaching space. I'm sure there are some skills that are overlapping nicely and some other ones that that are different that kind of need to change. I'd be curious to know kind of what the difference has been or what new skills you're needing to develop or trade out. Yeah, that's certainly an area of reflection that I'm working on right now. I would say. What, um, what I'm really optimizing uh, as part of my, my core self is my own authenticity, my compassion, um, my curiosity and in people. I'm just naturally you know, engaging. I like to know about people and I'm pretty intuitive. Um, I, you know, through my own years of growth and you know, highs and lows, I have instincts that allow me to kind of hone in on what's really behind that problem. Um, so I feel like I can really leverage that. What I'm, what I'm finding as a challenge and will continue to build muscle around is um, unlearning my insatiable need to fix the problem. Um, I, uh, you know, those, those years in HR, um, I prided myself in being the go-to person. Um, let, let's give it to Denise because she, 
she'll know what to do or she'll fix this because that's what I did. Um, and really, I derived a lot of jollies around that. I mean, I, that felt good. I was the person that was needed. Um, what I'm learning in my, in my coaching education is that we all need someone to hold space for us and to listen, but we don't need others to fix us. We are beautiful people. We are soulful. We, we have the tools um, within us. God gave us that. You know, we, we just, we have great brains. It just requires someone to um, allow the opportunity for someone to explore and reflect. So my, my muscle is to allow for some silence, be comfortable with that, to slow down. I found it interesting when you said, gee, you know, you, you could have gone to travel. That's a comment that so many people have made to me is that, Denise, God, you, you just, you left last year and you're already doing this. What, when do you relax? And I, that's something I have to work on. I have to work on pausing once in a while. So it's interesting. So I'm going to rephrase that. And you tell me if, I, if I'm missing a piece, but it sounds like in the HR space, it was a lot more, here's a problem. And then here, you know, come up with a solution. In the coaching space, it's a lot more like, here is someone coming to you. And then you need to kind of like help them navigate a way to bring out their best self, as opposed to here is a problem with people that, you know, in HR, it involves people. So it has to be a little bit more nuanced maybe than something that doesn't involve people, but it's, it's more of like fix the problem as opposed to enhance, you know, someone's, I don't know, personal being vitality type of thing. I think that's well stated. Um, and I would, you know, in, in there were circumstances in human resources where indeed there might've been a performance problem or someone struggling with how to approach something that my thought partnership was, uh, enabling them to move forward. Alternatively, there were also situations where a business segment had specific goals um, to drive a certain market segment, um, to uh, shift a culture. Uh, and in those circumstances, it was around collaborating with others to actually develop the strategy to mitigate a problem, to uh, incent individuals to drive toward that particular goal, whether that be through a compensation structure that you know enticed individuals to, to pursue sales capacity or whatever. So there were uh, developing strategies always on that. How do we fix this? So um, so you know individual and group performance would be really what a strategic business partner is all about. Developing that people strategy in the coaching arena, it is more intimate. Uh, and it is around asking those provocative questions of an individual, um, recognizing when they might be stuck. Uh, you know, I, I, I know I need to do this, but I don't know what's holding me back. Well, that's a perspective. That's a perspective you have. Right. Would you work with me? Are you, are you willing to play with me a little bit? Can we, can we try on a few other perspectives? And then using my tools um, and, and my own intuition, to help that individual explore things outside of that initial perspective or space. Mm -hmm. And then once we're in that milieu, then you start to say, so what, what feels best about that? Mm -hmm. How, what do you need to do? What do you need to be? Who do you need to be in order to actually channel that perspective? And coming up with their own strategy to, uh, to you know, kind of move forward with some change, withholding them accountable.
that's another very important thing. We, you know, you sign up for coaching, you, um, it's, it's, it's work. You, you got to be willing to do the work. Absolutely. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Because as a doctor, you know, I'm used to giving people like a plan of action, just follow the plan. But, you know, part of my training is counseling, coaching, integrated, and there's a lot of that self discovery piece, and really having them uncover and do the looking and the digging, but they have to be willing to do the work mm -hmm. to uncover those deep, dark, secrets or whatever might be holding them or restraining them from really pursuing whatever it is that they are wanting to achieve. Well, and what I have found, while I am, you know, very committed to delivering a service, um, it, it goes without saying that I too feel great gratification in watching the transition of an individual. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, having that Build, building and sustaining that sacred trust that comes over time. You know, you, you hope that in that first, you know, few sessions of a coaching engagement where you're discovering about each other, that through that you start to build this trust and you, you unveil the art of the possible. And then knowing in a sustained relationship that I'm going to be back at you. I'm going to be back with you. I'm going to be back seeking what you learned from that. You know, how did that accountability or that um, opportunity that we talked about, how did that manifest itself? How, how is, you know, what do you think about it? You know, what do you need? And really allowing that individual, that safety of continuing the conversation without judgment at all. It's because, it's about the individual and about my caring and loving that individual to be the best that he or she could be. Right. Wonderful. Do you have any amazing like or favorite success stories from one of your clients or just like watching them unfold and uncover those things or maybe even your own personal story that you want to share about like over overcoming like some internal obstacles? Well, I think I'm still overcoming. I mean, I think uh, for myself, I am, um, you know, I am working on my own saboteurs, as we call them, that insatiable need for perfection of always feeling like I'm doing the best I can, wanting to see, sometimes wanting to rush a little bit too much. You know, it, again, the, the coaching relationship is designed to be one that evolves over time. So I need to check myself at the door as well and take my lead from the client. But one of my favorite stories without divulging you know, too much detail is that I had an individual come to me and, and I have never met this individual face to face. She was referred to me by a friend. Um, we had a connection and in that she was you know, fully whole but just was sort of lost in where she was going in terms of fulfillment of career, anything. And she was just coming off a particular set of uh, activities that she was doing and really kind of wanted to shut down and push that aside. And through our, our working together, um, we, we explored her inner leader and really got her in touch with what those qualities about her that make her who she is and give her fulfillment. Um, we also ended up naming that leader um, and it turned out that the, the name that we now refer to it when we are, when we're channeling her is a childhood name that she, she always wanted 
her name to be. And so we call her out and we ask, what would she do? Uh, and it, it resonates with her. And when she's channeling that inner leader and she's in that spaciousness of a forest and in that beautiful nature and feeling all those good feelings, um, she's really able to explore much more about who she is and what she wants to be. And she has, um, she's ended up landing, she's, she, she's now moved out of her uh, former living situation, which was okay. She has um, devoted herself to caring for another uh, in a beautiful setting um, in Northern California and is going to be paid for what she loves to do. And we, we have been down over the course of our few months together, been down a couple of schemes that she was going to try to earn some more money. And just sort of magically an opportunity presented itself. And she was in the space where she was courageous enough to give that a try. And that, that was extremely powerful for me to, and, and she says, I, I don't want to stop this relationship because knowing that you're there for me gives me the chance to talk that through and see what I can do. And so we're going to let a little time pass and we're going to reset our goals around, you know, her vision for her next chapter after she retires. So she does recognize she needs some time to think about that. Um, and so we will commence that journey together and with this beautiful relationship that we've established. That's beautiful. <laughs> what a great story. Yes, and that must be really gratifying to just have someone kind of go through that transformation and step into their own leadership and power. And even as I talk about it, it is, um, it is so satisfying. I can't, I can't imagine not doing this. Particularly what I've said to my husband so many times in this last three months, my gosh, thank goodness I had the foresight to enroll in a program that was developing myself. I'd go nuts in this pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I at least have a distraction. My, my day, I, on Tuesdays, I have my little pod that I meet with virtually and I've got something to look forward to. And, and then I have my coach, uh, my clients that I'm coaching. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, there's a value placed on my time, but I'm, I'm about building the service more than I'm about sustaining a lifestyle. I, I just want to do this. Yeah, I don't want to speak for, I have no idea what your financial situation is, but I'm sure that having gone through a full career and then having the space to kind of focus on whatever it is you want to do is really nice. And without the, the pressure of, um, you know, maybe at a different point in your life, and I don't know, but it may have seemed like too much of a jump or something too different or, you know, like um, I've gone through a little bit of a career transition myself, um, switching from uh, marketing into software over the past couple years. And I know for me, like I had very little experience in the one field before jumping to the other. So it was a little bit easier to like, well, I haven't built up that much. I'm just going to jump head first into this other thing and see where it lands me. But I could see how having a very like built up a lot of experience and skills in a certain domain, switching after uh, that period would be really tricky if you don't have outside resources like you were saying like your your extra coaching program and whatnot and of course like when I was transitioning I also had resources because I didn't know what I was doing 
but it's it's so nice that like I guess you you have these extra resources to kind of um, bolster you through, especially through right now where things don't make as much sense or harder just because we're all locked at home all the time and all the days seem like one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be curious to know what kind of like uh, new or different uh, relationships you're seeing in, in the peer community, right? Like before you were probably in this HR group. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting more interaction with coaches. Is there anything that like stands out as um, different or more or less exciting or just anything like that? Yeah, um, thank you for that. There, um, well, first of all, I in, in, in both the classroom learning that I had and in my, my pod um, environment, uh, I am clearly the oldest person. And I generate a great deal of energy from, from keeping current, from, from being among people that are teaching me um, new tools on Zoom or you know, little, little tricks here and there, or some technology that I'm not as comfortable with. Um, so that's been really joyful for me in that community. Um, I've also found that um, you know, I, I was accustomed in corporate America to uh, folks that were very deliberate and you know, results oriented and knew what they wanted. Um, and I think what I'm really loving from my coaching peers is the diversity of their backgrounds and the, the diversity of the way they approach things. I think even generationally, uh, someone who, was, who came of age 25 years later than I did is going to have a different perspective on things because they, they came of age in a different time. And so that allows me to keep, um, keep broad in my perspective and, and be willing to, to try out something new. So I really find that really helpful to me. Um, and to the question about resources, um, what, what is also always something I can fall back on is if I, if I needed to, I could leverage uh, and market myself as a human resources fixer. I mean, I could go in and uh, do an assignment where uh, I could be an interim person that would keep the, you know, the, the seat warm while another individual was being hired. Um, so being able to find those gifts in yourself that you can capitalize on as you're pursuing something that might be more uh, a little risky, but you know, coming back to a fulfilled career is looking at what, what really makes you tick. And, and when you are being true to yourself and you, you know you're good at something because you're not, it doesn't seem like work, well, then those are opportunities for you to be able to let other people know what you can do, particularly if you want to, you know, underwrite a little bit of uh, some investment so that you can pursue something else. Like I'm, I'm assuming you went, you, you, did you pivot from tech to something else? It's the, it's the opposite sort of. I, I pivoted from like the social media marketing landscape into the tech stuff and uh, my foundation wasn't quite as stable, but I didn't have um, as much built up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like now, even just a couple years into this other career, switching again, which would be wild because I just did it, but uh, there, there, it feels like there's more to lose. Whether or not that's actually true or what that actually means for real life, and I don't know, but it feels like, oh, I would have to give up all this progress that I made. And that's kind of what I was trying to touch on in, the, in my other 
career, I hadn't really made any progress. I hadn't gotten too far. So it didn't feel super, you know, like a huge sacrifice to give it up. It felt more like, this doesn't seem to be working. I'm starting a new thing. Um, which is, which is, oh, good. It sounds like you're very, you're adept at kind of knowing yourself and being able to call it. And you have the, the inner courage to say, okay, let's give this a try. Only in <laughs> retrospect. <laughs> Only now. Yeah. Uh. It's scary. It is scary. You know, it's, it's scary to try new stuff. Um, the fear of failure. Uh, you know, certainly I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to be 65 years old and I, I still worry about, um, you know, what, what if I do it wrong? Well, you know, even just this morning, we had um, a triad meet in my, in my learning program. And, you know, I, I, I learned something because I didn't do it right. And having that mindset that every experience that you undertake um, it, with the right mindset, you're going to learn something from it regardless of, of whether or not it was, you know, letter perfect or not. So how is, as far as like fear goes, you know, as you're about to retire from HR, was there any, like, what was the internal dialogue or conversation going on being like, oh, I'm too old or, you know, I'm not going to be able to keep up with these guys or like what, what was happening in your head and what was the thing that kind of pushed you over the edge to surpass the fear and like well, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, think, I, I think I felt that I had done my work. Um, at Kaiser Permanente, I had um, kept my life balance in check and I had fulfilled what I came there to do. Um, folks, uh, folks retired around me uh, in my peer group uh, and I came to a conclusion that um, it was time, um, and 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 it was okay. I mean, I I think what allowed me to modify my fear was the aspiration of exploring something else. That it wasn't just twenty four seven freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, having having a purpose, mm-hmm. having some reason to get up other than just enjoying life, feeling that I wanted to give something back. And that, uh, you know, exploring the kind of education that I needed to augment my career and my earlier education, uh, you know, was, was something that kind of kept me going. Uh, and then the practical, the practical working and, and testing it out uh, and seeing what works and what doesn't. So it, it, it mitigated the fear, but I still feel uh, a very significant sense of responsibility to anyone that invites me into their life. Um, I don't take ever that that lightly, and I have I will continue to learn and grow. Yeah, I think that highlights something really important. Uh, at least it was also important in my journey, which is overcoming fear is much easier when you have a clear purpose or a clear thing that you are trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Right by the time that I left that other job that other career that I had started, I knew very clearly what I wanted to do. And it sounds like for you as well, but like whenever I ran into roadblocks or things that, that produced fear, I, I could use that purpose to kind of say like, okay, I feel scared about this and I'm going to do it anyway because the thing that I need to do is more important than this feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And I would say too, in who you are becoming, 
you know, again, being in touch with that inner self that where you draw your strengths from, um, you know, there's the, the book Strengths Finders. I mean, it's proven that when we play to our strengths, when we really highlight and capitalize on them, most things fall into place because you're not, you're not fighting something and trying to be someone you're not. You're actually authentically delivering what it is you want to do. It's just getting that opportunity. And, you know, and, and some things indeed may need to be compromised for the long game. Um, you, you know, from an economic standpoint, you have to be realistic about what your needs are um, and, and how to sustain uh, a, a reasonable lifestyle. Sometimes that means that we may be in a role that is less than fulfilling for the sake of having a dream, but giving yourself the space and the time to continue to pursue that dream while you're, you know, keeping your shelter over your head. Uh, you know, uh, it, getting the space to do both, I think, is a, uh, it, it's, you know, allows people to kind of manage even those doldrums of a job that may not be less than satisfying. So. Wonderful. So what would you, I guess, suggest or what coaching would you give to someone who's kind of like just in their job, like a standard desk job and they're unfulfilled and they, but obviously they need to pay the bills. So yep. what, <laughs> like, yeah. And they That's don't have, question, I guess, or even, even know what close to home uh, topic uh, in this house. Um, I think my guidance is to, to truly not lose that sense of dreaming, knowing what you want to do, and then enlisting your support group to navigate toward that end. Because if you are able to, as I said a minute ago, if you're able to at least be able to look to something joyful during your day that then was satisfying to you, you can at least close every day knowing that you did something that progressed you. If it is something like you really would like to be in photography, um, but you're, you're behind a desk and uh, just doing the numbers. Well, then getting yourself out and having the discipline every day to, to, to take those pictures, to you know, play with that a little bit, to post them and to get people's feedback. That's starting to build your capacity and your confidence. And then maybe your portfolio for being able to show someone else what you can do. Uh, it, it, it can't compromise the fact that uh, you do need to remember you, there's a job to do and, and you, and you got to do it. But if you can find ways of augmenting that and then, you know, know where you want to go and, and take the risk, like Donovan mentioned, of, of being able to kind of take that step and see what happens. You know, you've got more in you than you think you do. Absolutely. And I would think, you know, if it's something that they they love to do, for example, photography, if it's, and they're at a desk job that they're like not that passionate or, or liking that much, you know, that, you know, if they were to go out and shoot after work for a couple hours, it should like give them life and revitalize them. And it shouldn't feel like something that they have to do because it's something they want. And if it really is like fulfilling and, and something they love, then it, it's, it's that space to, you know, tap into their passion while still maintaining, you know, their income to pay for the bills. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's sort of the practical reality, you know? Um, right. But what about someone who is kind of like, I don't even know, like, what really gives me thrill, and they're just resigned about everything. 
and they're like, I, nothing gives me <laughs> like joy. It's like, what do you, what do you do about that situation? Well, you know, I mean, coaching can only go so far. Mm. Um, and coaching is not therapy. Yeah, that's right. So coaching is around unpacking, uh, you know, what I would ask permission to do with that individual is to start to chip away at what, what is preventing you, you know, what is maybe do a little, what we call in my um, jargon process coaching, where you actually um, give the individual the space to experience what, what it's, what they're feeling, you know, where are you feeling it? Um, where's that sense of weight? Uh, what is it, what does it feel like? Um, and, and, and cause that individual to begin to become in touch with that because you, you can't move forward unless you get through that dip, you know? And if, if not spending the time on it is keeping you like here and you really need to get under it to be able to unlock, it's, you know, like a sink that's clogged, right? You've got that trap and you've got something that's there, you can't let the water flow unless you unblock that. And so what a coach does for an individual who's in that space of inertia is actually, again, give that safe space to allow to process through that. And then, you know, when that shift begins, a good coach is going to detect the resonance and begin to intuit what they're seeing. I'm, I'm seeing a shift in there. What is that about? What are you feeling right now? Um, where do you want to take that? What do you need? And beginning to help that individual focus on a, a light rather than the darkness. Mm. Yeah, yeah just to add another little perspective to that, I think it really, like you were saying, it really depends on at what depth this feeling exists, right? Like at a certain depth, um, therapy is probably a better tool. Um, I know that there's been a couple people that I know that like aren't quite at the therapy level, but they, they kind of are feeling a little bit lost or listless. And one of the things that I have seen help people is to come up with a list of things, not that they want to do, right? Cause there's no like big passion project, but just a list of things that they haven't done that they're willing to do. Um, and then spend time like knocking out some of those things to see if a passion kind of stumbles out of one of those. Uh, I just wanted to add that extra like tactic or thing that I've seen work. Actually, um, that resonates really well with me because another tool that I might use in that circumstance is something that we call either a request or a challenge. Mm -hmm. So um, if, if I am connecting with that individual and I'm going to blurt something out and, you know, use my intuition, um, I might, I might put a challenge out there that's kind of off the wall. Right. So, it's not so much that the individual has to, has to take on that challenge. What I'm trying to do in that circumstance is make them think. And it, it, oh no, I, I could never do that. Yeah. Well, that, what, what can you do? What, you tell me what you can do in between there and what feels comfortable. So what have I, what have I done there? I've, I've, I've triggered something, got a reaction, and then the, the counter reaction is, well, maybe I could do this, no matter how small. It's just the one step toward seeing it in a different way. Yeah. So I also had read in your, your bio that you've been through a lot of different life hurdles, including a divorce, 
and you had a personal professional reset at 30. What do you want to speak a little to that? Sure. So, um, you know, I, uh, I married a high school sweetheart. I did everything right. Graduated college, got married. And, um, you know, as luck turns out, uh, when you are together with someone at a very young age, um, it's not uncommon for people to grow in different directions. And so I found myself having grown in a different direction than my partner. Um, I was fortunate that it was a very, there were no children involved. It was a very amicable, amicable split as, as, as much as it could be. But what I found myself at 30 is having, um, having had an aspiration of what my life was supposed to look like. Um, I found myself now, you know, with what it was supposed to look like with that individual. Uh, I found myself now having to reinvent myself. You know, at least that's the first time I reinvented myself. And um, I was not in human resources at that time. I was in kind of a nothing job because I just sort of was going to rely that together we were going to do X, Y, Z. Um, and I was in a role where I was fortunate enough to have a really great mentor, somebody who saw in me some attributes that were needed in that particular work environment. And it, it was around people. It was a workspace of about 100 employees, and there was no on-site human resources professional to speak of uh, other than the person who did the payroll. And um, they recognized that they were at a place of kind of a cultural direction, and they needed somebody to attend to that more. And they saw in me um, kind of like the proverbial, I like HR because I'm good with people. Um, but, and yes, indeed, I was able to make connections with people. But through that suggestion that I consider that as a role to play, I was working for a company large enough to have a human resources function. This was a satellite company of a much larger institution uh, in the financial services sector. And um, I would say people took a risk on me and I seized the moment and began to shift toward that human resources role. And when I speak about um, doing work that isn't work, I, I can honestly say that at that point in 30, when I was asked to assume that role as the on-site human resources professional for those hundred people, um, I just, I just started to do it. And I never felt like it was taxing to me. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do more of. I wanted to continue to leverage those, those characteristics in me, take the training, you know, take advantage of every opportunity. And um, in my early 30s, I remember a very important lesson when I made a mistake. And it was a human, it was employee relations issue that, um, you know, through my naivete, um, you know, lack of life experience, it didn't go, you know, I didn't solve it the best way. And again, having been under the wing of a very wise old soul, um, you know, seeing the beauty of the ability to make a mistake and recover from it and teaching me the value of that, because if we don't, make a mistake, you don't have the opportunity to do better. And so I'm gifted at the fact that I've had at a, you know, a young, early career age, um, people around me that had my interest at heart as well. 
Um, and perhaps that's a little bit of why I feel at this stage in my life and my career that I would like to pay that forward and, and do the same for others. Um, again, not solving their problems, um, but helping them recognize that through, through that journey and through their mistakes, there is lots of growth and opportunity that's available to you. Yeah, that's a really interesting story. And I think that it's especially telling that once you um, kind of found the area or the, the type of work that was more fulfilling, it, it sounds like you really were able to double down on that and, and go deep in it. Whereas before, the, the way you described it, it sounded like you, you, I mean, you were just there to kind of get a little bit of a paycheck, but as a part of your other life, as opposed to kind of folding in work into your life as like a main component, which it sounds like it, it kind of transformed into. So I'd be curious to know if, um, it sounds like it happened a little bit by, by just chance. Um, yeah. I'd be curious if you did any exploring or if it really did just kind of fall in your lap. Like, had you, had you been angling towards something like that? Like, were there, were there signs before or did it just kind of show up? You know, I got to tell you, it was one of those circumstances where um, I knew, I, I knew I, I, I did know I was good with people. I, I, I you know, I'm an only child. I, 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 I was always an entertainer. I always kind of knew how to kind of woo someone along. Um, and so I did know that I was easily to engage, that I made friends. I knew that about me. So the rest was luck. It really was that I was just, my, my life was coming apart. You know, I, I had a broken heart. I had to pull up my bootstraps and figure out how I was going to do something on my own, not a shared income anymore. I needed to survive on my own. What was I going to do? And I needed to start, I, I did communicate that. I, I, I do remember that very vividly, that I needed to really get my act together. Um, and perhaps that gift of being authentic and saying, I'm vulnerable. I need some support here. Uh, I, 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 I was fortunate enough to have people that were going to bring me along. Um, so that's, uh, that, that would be that. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you had kind of the, the knowledge of like where your strengths were before, but maybe didn't see the path for how you could, how that would be useful in creating an income or as part of your work until your life kind of changed to the point where it was more of a necessity or there was a little bit more of a push than previously. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, I graduated college in 1977 and I'm not even sure that there was something called human resources at that time. Um, that was personnel, okay? So people had to get paid. Uh, people had to have some sort of, legal structure, um, such as it was even in the 70s, was it anything like the regulations and the protections that we now appropriately have for individuals in the workplace. But so I was, I landed in something truly at the point where there was an inflection point in that profession as well. So I think that was, that was actually really, again, very fortuitous, is that around the late 70s, early 80s was when it was shifting to really be much more employee-oriented. What was culture? Why was it important for a company to create a culture of engagement? I mean, it's even become more pronounced as we've learned more about how 
what motivates people, um, what is a very important generationally, you know, what's important to the 20 and 30 somethings now was very different than what was important to 20 and 30 somethings when I was coming of age. You, you know, you, you were lucky you had a job and you showed up and you did it, period. Um, today, our, our early career people are looking for purpose. They're looking for organizations that are making a difference in the world. And if a company does not um, get on board with that and embrace that, um, they're going to lose the top talent. So now that war for talent and that human resources function has evolved um, to a very exciting place. Um, and I, it's fun to see uh, how that goes. My, my last assignment um, at, at, before I retired from Kaiser um, was really around shifting the service delivery model of the way the human resources function was delivering services to really put that strategic business partner at the forefront so that they could be out in front rather than fighting fires all the time, trying to anticipate, trying to understand really what was making our employees tick and really understanding the data. That's another difference in what today offers. I mean, I, can't, I started my career, there was no email. There was, there was no data mining. It was, you know, your yellow pad of paper that a human resource or personnel person had about the three times this person got in trouble and you know what we did about it. So just you know, in these 35 years, there's been such an enormous change in the way um, things have operated. I, I don't know if we took us, I took us off track or I got a little excited about that. So I apologize for that. That was really, that was really actually very interesting. I hadn't thought of you know, the evolution of HR and you know, how it had gone from you know, just kind of like figuring it out, like writing on yellow pads to now there's data, now it's about purpose, now it's about culture, and those are the things that matter to people. And you know, if you have a happy team, that makes a huge difference in productivity and performance. Right. Or if, you're, if you have data that tells you, why is there turnover in this particular area, and why are we turning over people who are high performers? Right. You know, that, so we can, we can understand that there's a trend there that's when your HR person um, you know, goes in there and then wants to start to surgically unpack that. Or your coach comes in because you have a leadership shortcoming where that leader needs to um, take some stock in their own behavior uh, and begin to own some of the, uh, the fallback from not really leading to his or her full potential. So you know, again, there's kind of a natural, when I, when I think about how my career's pivoted, I'm taking that richness of experience in, in that corporate setting, being among them, to now understanding what could and could not happen with the right type of support structure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love that, you know, they are looking at, you know, not just the employee performance, but the manager's <laughs> performance also. There's feedback both ways. It goes both ways. It's not one way anymore. And that's, that's right. really valuable. Well, a lot of organizations are actually implementing more of a coaching culture for their management group, kind of diminishing that hierarchical. Because again, our early career professionals are not interested in hierarchy. They want to get things done. They want to remove all the barriers. If a manager doesn't keep up with that um, and, and learn how to, to be fluid and agile, they're gonna lose those types of employees. So creating more of a coaching, 
culture rather than um, a dogmatic one is also a way to start to chip away at that. Great. Well, Denise, we really loved having you on our show. Thank you again so much for being our guest. Was there anything you'd like to, to plug before we wrap up today? Oh, well, you know, I, I, this was uh, delightful. Thank you very much for inviting me in. Um, I am um, an active coach. Um, I am, you know, Denise Erickson Coaching, and I have an Instagram handle, DECoaching20. So come follow me. Uh, and I certainly will be posting this there so that people know what's going on. But, you know, hit me and I would love to chat with anybody to see what the art of the possible is. Awesome. <laughs> love it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Happy Talks with Dr. Allison Donovan. We hope you got something of value to help bring a little more happiness into your life. What lesson or takeaway did you get from today's episode? For more tips and tools, be sure to check out my website at dralicefong.com and you can find me on my social media handles at dralicefong. You can find me at howtohappy.com and follow me on my social media handles at howtohappy. Catch, Catch you next time. time.